0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now, today's a recorded show. We are talking with Dr. Anne Tran. She is here from Kaiser Permanente, and she's ready to talk about how important the first hundred days of life are and what parents can expect as they bring their new infant into the world. She's heard it all and has some words of wisdom for any new parents, and probably for all of us. Dr. Tran, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to be here. Now, you have a very interesting job. You're a pediatric hospitalist. For those people who don't understand what a hospitalist is or understand what you do, tell me a little bit, what is it that you do, and how did you get to be that?
1: Well, a pediatric hospitalist is a hospital-based Uh, doctor. They work primarily in the hospital, and they get to take care of all the new babies after they're born, and they get to take care of kids when they get sick. So
0: you're primarily in the hospital, and you're kind of the first contact that parents have with a pediatrician. Yes. Because you're there. Yes. Now, what sort of training does it take to be a pediatric hospitalist? So medical school is four years, then you do a pediatric residency. How long is that? Usually three years. Okay. And then do you do, after that you can work, because that's a lot of that is in the hospital already. Yes. So it's after that that you become a pediatric hospitalist.
1: Yes. There are programs specifically for pediatric hospitalist care. Um, there's a few programs. Like in those three country. years of training. In addition, there's addition okay training.
0: Gotcha. So now you're the first contact that parents have. They have a baby. They're so excited. They want their baby to be healthy tell me about what that experience is like so when someone has when when a family when they when they have an infant are you there immediately you're the first person to check out their son or daughter what are the things that
1: you look for yeah i mean it's it's such a you know honor to be a part of that experience for a lot of families we do give them some time to you know um welcome their new baby and Just have the not, you know, take that away from the family. But we do, you know, start um, meeting them after about the first hour um, just to examine the baby, make sure that they don't have any questions or any concerns, um, and do a head-to-toe physical exam of the baby, make sure everything's okay.
0: Now, there's a term that in medicine we use called an APCAR score, and that has to do with how the baby's doing at birth. What are those scores and and how does that help you to to know when you hear about what they are how healthy that baby's going to be in the near immediate future?
1: yeah, most of the time those apcars are assigned you know either by the obstetrician or um, one of the neonatologists um, or providers attending the delivery. I think most of the time it's the score is not meant to help dictate, you know, um, what the resuscitation or, or um, the, the process of, of taking care of the baby at the time. But, you know, in general, those scores are, are meant to decide if there was, you know, any problems we should worry about um, down the line. So it's like a doctor to doctor communication
0: or a doctor-to-staff communication, okay, so if the scores were 8 and 9, things were pretty good, the baby seemed pretty healthy as soon as they were born, and it should be okay. Whereas if it was really low, that could be a sign of concern.
1: Right. And, and you know, we may want to watch a little bit more closely. But for the most part, it's, um, you know, over time they do do a, a, a series in, in, until the scores are um, improved. So now, what are you looking for when you first meet this
0: new newborn into the world? What sort of things do you assess? I mean, I'm sure parents cuddle their new infant and their new child, check, you know, five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot. What are some of the medical things that you look at that help you to determine if the baby's going to be okay?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I I look at the, the family dynamics, too, when I first meet them, see... How they respond to the, the the baby if they're if they're happy, there are a lot of people in the room if they have you know good support um, so that's usually my first kind of um, encounter, and doing the head to toe you know I always look for the color color tells you a lot of information. babies are supposed to be pink, we like pink babies we don't like blue babies, so color right off the bat can tell you a lot of information. And we look to make sure, you know, they're breathing comfortably. Um, they're maintaining their body temperatures appropriately. A lot of these things are things that babies have to learn how to do quickly, transition to the the life outside the womb pretty quickly. So we watch for those kinds of things um, so that they, they happen smoothly and they happen appropriately. So breathing comfortably um, because, you know, when they come out, some babies, if they don't have um, – like a the fully developed fully lung, lungs. Sure, they, sure. they have a hard time breathing and they breathe fast or they breathe heavy or they breathe hard. So sometimes they need a little help. So those are kind of things we watch for. And so you're seeing
0: this newborn, hopefully they're breathing normally, they're there with family. Is there ever a reason why there shouldn't be so many people in the room. You mentioned having family and having that support. Is that a risk for the baby who's just been born, or is that okay in general?
1: I think if it, it makes the the family, the primary, the the, the parents um, feel supported and happy, I think if it's adding to the stress, then then we do sometimes um, step in and and you know um, offer uh, to make sure that. Like another getting, place for, <laughs> yeah. you know,
0: like, hey, Johnny and Auntie Sue, you're arguing. Take that to the waiting room. We're yeah. going to focus on the family here. Okay.
1: I mean, sometimes we can take the cues from the parents, like if they need to rest or, um, you know, they they feel uncomfortable, um, then we can kind of get those hints um, and help. But most of the time, it's it's a good thing to see the love. Now, one of the things that
0: is really heavily promoted, and I think in a good way, is breastfeeding. So when you first give birth, your baby's going to be hungry soon. You want them to start to be able to find their own nutrition. They're no longer in utero. When when should women start breastfeeding if they're going to breastfeed? And and if so, why is it so much
1: better than than choosing the other out? Yeah. Um, so they should breastfeed as... as soon as possible they they call it the golden hour it's that first hour of after delivery most most um, most of the time we allow for skin to skin contact with the moms and the babies that helps um, to kind of get babies and mommies comfortable and encourage breastfeeding so that first hour is actually really important so that first hour we don't we don't do much except let mommy and baby bond so that that breastfeeding can happen so as quickly as Possible after the delivery, um, we encourage the breastfeeding. There's so many, so many wonderful benefits to breastfeeding for both moms, and like babies. what? I mean, we hear about these benefits, and sometimes people are aware of them. Sometimes they're not. Tell me about some of the benefits of breastfeeding. So infections for. So it prevents infections for for babies, um, respiratory infections, ear infections, um, reduces the risk for allergies. Um, It also reduces the risk for SIDS and any amount of breastfeeding. Um, Exclusive is better, but any would make a difference. Um, It also reduces the risk for obesity and diabetes later in life. Um, and there's been some studies to show two higher IQ scores f- um, for for babies who are breastfed, and for mommies, it really helps them get back into shape much quicker. It helps um, reduce risk for depression. It helps the risk reduce for um, ovarian and breast cancer. So there's so many wonderful things, and it's a great bonding experience for the mom and the baby, and. It's a gift. It's a great gift that the moms can provide for her child. So, you know, any any amount of breastfeeding. Now, I want to touch briefly. You mentioned it can reduce the risk for SIDS. What is SIDS,
0: and and how does if we know how does breastfeeding help with that?
1: So, I don't know if we know exactly why um, the the breastfeeding helps reduce the risk for SIDS. Um, there's been a few studies looking at that. Um, but SIDS is is sudden the sudden death of an infant um, under a year of age, and usually there's an unexplained cause. And, and even after doing a very thorough investigation, that includes like a complete autopsy, so we don't ever know the the real cause. But we know it is very it's common in the first hundred days. So I think it peaks somewhere between the first and six months of life, and I think it's it actually is the number one cause of um, infant deaths, um, age one month to a year. Um, So what we find is that the SIDS is probably due to some episode occurring um, sometime during sleep, and it has to do with probably some vulnerability and and with a developmental change, and then you add some stressors, environmental stressors, um, and and that's where it tips the scale. So the Even though we don't know the causes, there are a lot of things that we're learning that can reduce um, the risk dramatically. So some of those things include um, making sure the infants sleep on their backs for all sleep, Um, not just nighttime sleep, but all their naps also. Um, Making sure they sleep on a firm mattress um, with, you know, just a very empty crib, so no the fluffy pillows or any soft bedding that could pretend, potentially suffocate or strangulate. Um, so the idea
0: is that if the baby's laying on their back and there was all this other stuff in the crib that, you know, potentially they could roll, grab it, reach it, put it above their mouth, and then not be able to breathe on their yeah. own and not have the ability to know why or to move it, really. Right. So cribs should they you know, so cribs should be empty as much as possible.
1: Blankets? No blankets. So Really, the other things that, that we know reduces the risk for SIDS is also overheating. So um, avoid overheating the baby. So maybe just a, a sleep set um, or a footed pajama set, those things, um, so that you don't have any of the, those pillows and, and blankets in the crib and no bumpers. I know they look nice, but, um, you know, they're a That's are another risks. question, <laughs> right.
0: So they're a risk. So having a crib with bars actually be exposed is better
1: than having a crib with the pretty bumper. Correct. Okay. Um, and then breastfeeding, as we talked about, um, and you know some other things that seem to help too is when the when the infant is awake, have them spend some time on their tummies to help strengthen their neck muscles, their shoulder and head, and muscles. watch them so that if they're not doing right. well,
0: you can pick them up, turn them on their right. back, or put them in a safer position. Right. Okay. Now, you were talking about breastfeeding. We were talking about the many benefits of that. You said any amount of breastfeeding is good. Is there ever a situation where, you know, breastfeeding, if if women can't do it, is there any way to replicate that experience or get those extra benefits? Could babies drink someone else's breast milk? Is that okay? Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean there's a great donors milk program um Hawaii's mother's milk um so premature babies um and if their moms can't produce enough milk, they are there are donor banks. Um, so yeah, there are some sometimes cases where mothers aren't able to breastfeed. Um but we do if if there are cases where we can help in any way, if it's a, if it's due to a you know problem with the latch, or supply, there are a lot of great um, people that can help. Um, you know, I'm I'm very lucky to work with a lot of really good lactation consultants at Kaiser, and, um, you know, we're able to help a lot of mommies um, breastfeed successfully. But there are um, other community resources. So as I mentioned, Hawaii Mother's Milk, um, La Leche League. Um, there's online services, too. So um, there's ways, if, if yeah. that's
0: really something you want to do. Try everything to be able to do it yourself if you're a new mom, and if not, there are some alternative resources, but try everything, and there's help out there. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Anne Tran from Kaiser Permanente. We're recording this show today, uh, but very, very good information, excellent information for the first 100 days of life and how important this is to really help Babies to mature appropriately and and reduce the risk of serious problems like son and infant death syndrome and other sorts of medical concerns. you mentioned that breastfeeding is always always best if possible. How long I mean, I know that you know these days, and there is a lot of discussion about how long women can have leave from work. you know there's still not required paid maternity leave there's maternity leave, but not necessarily with with money involved, and some women can't take six months off or a year off. Some of them can only take three weeks off or four weeks financially in order to support their family. Even if somebody has 12 weeks off, what? how long is the maximum benefit for breastfeeding? Is there ever a point where if you can go at least X number of days, then you get most of the benefit and anything after that is good, but at least
1: you've gotten that first number of days. Is there a number yeah. to that? Well, the recommendation is, you know, Six months and then a year if possible, the w h o recommends two years, and I think it's a after that it's a it's it's personal and as long as both parties are happy, the mom and the child, then I don't think that that's a problem
0: so if you can make it to six months, that's where a lot of the benefit will be a year would be even better just depends on your personal circumstance
1: right, okay, and there's never too long no, I think that that That, like I said, is a personal decision for a lot of families, and um, as long as everybody is happy. And comfortable. Yes. Okay. So...
0: Try. Now, if you do go back to work, you, you know, women also can pump breast milk and they can store that. That's the idea of La Leche League and mother's milk is that you can store it in a safe place, refrigerator, etc., and then feed the baby even if you're at work and you have childcare. that person can help as well.
1: Right. And a lot of workplaces now support that. They have great designated areas um, where moms can pump and store their milk. Um, I think not. You know, in the in the in the past decades, women were, you know, forced to pump in the bathroom or, you know, other places. But now, there, I think there are um, a lot of wonderful advances and things that help support breastfeeding in the workplace for women. Good. It's good that we're getting better at something and this is one of the things that I agree
0: we're getting better at we're recognizing how important it is medically now what if for whatever reason you can't formula if if someone decides they're going to feed their child formula and that's that's what they're going to do are there any dangers in doing that i mean we know the benefits of breastfeeding and if you choose not to or you can't or for whatever reason it's not possible
1: are there harms in using formula um i think you know just some of the things that we usually tell parents um, to do is make sure you use um, water that's been thoroughly boiled and, um, because there, there's always a risk for infection every time you're mixing um, the formula. So that and then um, burns and, and other kinds of injury. So those kinds of things, uh, just we give a lot of anticipatory guidance um, to prevent um, those kinds of harms. So you mentioned um, boiled water just to make sure that it's sterile. Right. And then
0: you can mix the formula with that. And what other sorts of things would you be telling a new mom that you know they would want to know if they were using formula? You mentioned burns, so if you're going to boil the water, make sure that it's it's yeah. cool enough and that it's
1: not going to be too hot for the baby to drink. What other things do you yeah. do you warn them about? Um, avoiding the microwave. You know, some people use the microwave to heat. Sometimes it heats unevenly and can cause you know hot spots. Um, so, using some type of warming device that more evenly warms um, the milk is a lot safer. But, you know, they, they have, they, it has, you know, depends on the formula, but it some of it is just meant to, you know, um, have calories, the, all the same, you know, similar nutrients. It's just that there are things that, you know, breast milk will always um, have that formula doesn't. Sure, and I don't think you can get antibodies. Right. In formula, you know, and one of the big risks is
0: would be infection. And so if you can give antibodies to the infant, that'll help them because their immune system is a little bit vulnerable for the first several months. I mean, not that they're going to get sick with everything, but you'd kind of want to keep them protected as much as possible. Is there a danger if a new mom who's breastfeeding gets a cold and still wants to breastfeed? Will that put the infant at risk if she's so close to them physically that she doesn't want to give them the infection? Or could her own body's antibodies protect that infant as
1: well? Yeah, we would encourage her to continue to breastfeed because... She's probably fighting that infection and making the antibodies, which would be very protective for that infant. So we would actually encourage her. That's, you a, know, good Keep that's a good time. Keep breastfeeding. Don't stop yeah. now.
0: You might not feel like it, but this could help your baby. Right. Okay. And then let's talk about what other sorts of things. You know, parents these days, you you give birth and and you leave the hospital within a day or two. That's your time of exposure to to this infant. What other things? happen in the hospital that that new parents might not realize. I mean we mentioned that there's a good physical exam you do this head to toe examination of the baby and if everything's good And you hopefully, you know, they're breastfeeding, if that's possible. If they're not, they're doing formula. You know, what about, I mean, do you ever wind up seeing parents who are like, I don't know what to do. How do I, you know, I'm sure new dads, how do I change a diaper? What do I do? I mean, is there sort of an education process that goes on with that?
1: Right. And I think a lot of that is just spending time and practicing. Um, So changing a diaper. So a lot of times that's their very first experience, ever changing a diaper, um, so it's great for them to be able to experience that and, 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 learn how to do that in the hospital and, um, you know, get some help. Swaddling comes up quite a bit, um, how to comfort their babies. So those kinds of things, um, you know, I, I go through with parents, um, because this is their, you know, oftentimes very first child, the baby's crying and, and it, you know, you're still trying to decipher what that cry means. So helping them and guiding them through that process. So we walk through, you know, has a baby been fed recently? Is there a dirty diaper that needs changing? Or does the baby just want some snuggling time? And so, you know, we, we walk through all those, we do all those things. And then we, you know, go over some other things that, that sometimes helps to soothe a baby. Because, again, most of this... Um, uh, most of these things that they're probably seeing is that the baby is still learning to transition to life out of the womb. So for nine months, you know, the baby was used to constantly being fed, not having to be changed, um, constantly hugged and held and constantly rocked. And then they're suddenly... They're out. Know, out. and That's it. <laughs> There's no more constant feeding. Right. you got to... You know, pee and poo on your own. And yeah. No one's going to
0: rock you all the time. You've right. kind of got to tell everybody what to do. Right. Okay, so that transition of learning how to, how to interpret some of those signals and signs yeah. that babies will give. Now, when they leave the hospital, that may be the limit to how much you'll take care of them if you are a hospital pediatrician. But how do parents find regular pediatricians? What do they do? How do they go about that process?
1: Yeah, and I, you know, we... We encourage parents to look in advance, you know, find someone before their baby arrives, hopefully. Um, and the, the best way is asking friends, asking family, asking people they trust or, um, and asking their OBs for any kind of referrals or recommendations. Um, and then, you know, find someone that seems to fit your style of parenting, your philosophy, Um, your outlook on you know things in life in general so finding someone who you trust and 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 cares about you and your family and taking care of them and someone who listens um, and you feel comfortable with I think those are kind of the main things to help guide that decision
0: Sure. It sounds like for any doctor, you really want
1: to have that sense of trust and
0: communication. And if it's your first child, you know, it might be more difficult. It's the first time you might be looking for a pediatrician. If it's your second or third child, you might already have that relationship established and be able to add on to the list because, you know, you have a new baby and this is all part of family care. So it certainly sounds like it might be more difficult for the first time around. And I guess it's kind of hard to know if what their philosophy on life is or their philosophy on raising children, if it's your first. Right. I mean, you gotta. You might not even have your own philosophy, so you're not sure yet, but certainly appreciating guidance, and that's that's absolutely helpful. Now, when should you go for your first visit? So if you have a baby and you just bring the baby home, are there restrictions on when you should take them out of the house? And
1: when should you make that first pediatrician visit? Within a week or two? Yeah, so usually we, we have them follow up within... Um, you know the first 72 hours after they're discharged from the hospital that's the the first newborn visit and that's really just to make sure you know um breastfeeding's going okay their weight's okay and they're they're not um jaundiced that's a common um newborn problem and then following that visit um usually the pediatrician sees them at 2 weeks um that's usually kind of the the, the one of kind the, of the, the main standard visits. protocol Yeah. Okay.
0: You mentioned something interesting, you mentioned jaundice. And you know, you mentioned earlier we said babies should be pink. That's a good color. We right. like pink babies. We don't like blue babies. I mean, we like them. We just wish they were pink. Uh, tell me about jaundice. Jaundice means they're a little
1: bit yellowed. And why would that happen? Yeah, so the, yeah. So the yellowing of the skin and sometimes um the, you can see it in the whites of their eyes is is just due to accumulation of the bilirubin. It's the pigment um, that comes from the broken down, you know, red blood cells, and it accumulates in their blood. Um, and why are babies more prone? It's because, you know, when they were in the womb, mother was taking care of all that. They were, you know, clearing out the bilirubin for them. But after they're born, their their own liver takes over, and that's the site of where all the bilirubin gets processed. Um, so what happens is they're just not really good at processing the, the pigment. So it builds up in their blood, so it builds up quicker than they can get rid of it, so that's why um, you know it, you end up seeing it stain on the, on the skin, and it's such a you know a common problem. I would say more than half of all the babies I take care of have some bit of jaundice, um, and it's usually not a problem. But you know why do we care? Then it's it's more for you know very very rare times, and we don't see this much anymore. But um, it can cause, you know, brain damage and if it, you know, worsens to a, a significant point. But, again, we don't see this because we do such a good job, I think, um, screening for it um, and then treating it early. We treat it with something called phototherapy, which is a light therapy, um, and that helps kind of take care of the problem before, you know, it gets out of hand. How does phototherapy help jaundice? Does it break down some of the pigment in the skin? Yeah, it it does this special thing called conjugation, which is, just means that it, it makes it into a form that the body easily gets rid of. And the two ways the Billy leaves your body is um, you know, through pee and poop. And so it makes
0: it easier to do that. Yes. And if the baby's liver can't yet do that itself, you can use this particular type of photo treatment and then it then it's okay. Right.
1: They, you know, some parents might have, might hear you know their doctors recommending oh sitting next to the window and feeding frequently. Those are all things to help kind of clear that bilirubin more quickly. And the other reason you know newborns are more prone to it is sometimes they get a little bit dehydrated. You know, as they wait for mommy's milk to come in. So when they get dehydrated, they recycle some of their fluids, and that fluid contains you know the, the The bilirubin pigment that The very thing they're trying to eliminate,
0: they recycle it, so that happens. So if you see it, don't be scared. We're really good at treating this. It should be okay. Yes. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Anne Tran from Kaiser Permanente, and we're talking about how important... The First Hundred Days of Life Are for Infants. Now, this is a recorded show, but we've got lots of great information to share with you so that, you know, if you have a grandparent uh, who has a new baby in the family, uh, a mother who just delivered, if you have friends that that you know are having babies, great information that you could really share with them and certainly help them so that their whole entire family can be healthier. So let's talk a little bit about... You mentioned sleeping in a crib and and having a baby sleep on their back as a very important thing to do to avoid having sudden infant death syndrome and having any other problems. And we sort of touched on swaddling a little bit. Should babies be wrapped up so that they can't move their arms? Should they be in that traditional swaddling position? Does that make them more comfortable? What's the best
1: way to have your baby fall asleep? So sleeping is different than if they're awake and they need to be, um, you know, um, calmed down. So swaddling I use to help calm infants down because, like I said, it, they, it helps kind of replicate um, the environment in the womb. Um, but that's the same thing as holding a baby close and snuggling. Um, that's what they're looking for, I think. So for for safe sleeping, it's actually recommended not to have a, any kind of loose blankets because the older that child gets, they're going to find ways to get out of the swaddle, and then you know that can get loose and land on their face and cover their heads, and that's that's not a, you know a safe sleeping environment for a baby. Um, so there are you know things that it, you can use for for sleeping to help keep them comfortable and temperature wise without using you know blankets. Now. Can babies sleep in parents' beds? Is that a good idea?
0: Bad idea? What's the latest thinking on that? I know that some people have really strong thoughts on it, but what's safest for the baby?
1: Yeah, but the recommendation is that they that they sleep in their own cribs. It's great to share the room, so having the infant nearby in the, in his own sleeping um, space, like in the crib or um, a play playpen nearby or a bassinet. But the adult bed is, is, you know, not really made for the baby because all of, all the, you know, the mattress could be a little bit softer and um, the, all the thick blankets and pillows. Um, and the other people. And the other people. In the bed. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I know it's, you know, sometimes it ends up being, those are the recommendations. It ends up being, you know, a personal choice. Um, but it's always safer, um, you know to have a baby sleep in in his own crib um if i find that a family you know is is not able to do that then i do try to kind of do some things with them to make sure that we uh, you know decrease the the risk Sure, everybody's safe if you're going yeah. if you're going to do that, that there's ways to make it right. safe
0: Talk to your
1: pediatrician.
0: Find Harm out yeah. how to do that exactly. <laughs> if that's going to happen, what's the best way that you can do it? Now, do babies need any vaccines before they leave the hospital, or does that happen
1: later in their in their lifetime? Actually, they do. They do get um, the hepatitis B vaccination in the hospital before they leave the hospital. So um, the first shot—that's the very first shot—and
0: at... that's a series of three yeah. total. But the very first shot given at birth, yes. and the reason why we do that with hepatitis B, what if the parents are both immune already? The reason why we get excited about that is why?
1: You know, it's, it's decreasing the risk. It's a lifetime risk that if they do go on to develop hepatitis B, they can become, you know, chronically Seriously, infected okay. and they can get cancer, have, liver cancer. So it's, you know, something we that we can protect. We start yeah. Okay.
0: And what other shots are often given within the first 100 days or so?
1: yeah so there's you know there's a series um and it starts at two months and then four and then the sixth month and that's why that two week visit is is a good visit because I think that's where all of the um kind of you can talk about with your your doctor um at that visit so those are all the the series that are kind of broken up um but they protect against um a lot of kind of serious bacterial and viral infections that you know we don't we don't see much anymore but some are you know starting to make a comeback um because of lower vaccination risk, ra- rates
0: sure and that is unfortunate you know this past year we had seen some measles in other countries there are outbreaks of other things Polio, there's actually a, a polio-like virus that I heard is is in California. They haven't yet identified it as a polio virus, it's some sort of enterovirus that was causing problems. So certainly talking to your pediatrician about making sure that you know what vaccines are required, you know when to get those, and and getting on the routine schedule and knowing that that schedule is, is – put out by the Centers for Disease Control and the American Academy of Pediatrics and the National Institutes of Health. They all have put out this series. It's certainly safe and something that's recommended. So, okay, so vaccines. Now, what about you bring the new baby home? What if it's not baby number one? What if it's number two or three? Is there anything that siblings need so that they can adjust to having this new extra member in the family?
1: Yes, certainly. And that's, you know, that's a difficult time. For your older child, um, there are a few things that you can do to help. And starting early doesn't hurt. You know, you can talk with them. And it depends how old the older child is. But talking to them in a way that they can understand. Letting them participate. Letting them um, take some sort of responsibility or role before the baby comes, when the baby arrives at the hospital, and then when they go home. So a good friend and colleague, you know, had mentioned what – he sometimes told um, parents or families, and what he did was have the older child kind of be the assigned gatekeeper of the baby. So anybody that at the hospital that went to wanted to see the baby had to go through the older child. So that gave him kind of a you know a, a role and sure um, control help. and
0: feel like he could manage this situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think siblings are a wonderful thing. I have siblings myself. And, you know, as an adult, they're a lot more fun than when we were all younger and probably torturing one another. But uh, yeah. but uh certainly something that, that it's good to start that process early and make sure everybody's going to be aware. It's a huge adjustment. You're no longer the only kid. Right. You know, you've got some competition coming now and <laughs> they're smaller and might be a little cuter. And uh, oh, so yeah. what are some of the things that new moms often ask you, I mean, you're their first contact with a pediatrician unless they have older children. What are the common questions that people ask you?
1: Oh, one, I always get a question about, oh, how, how warmly should I dress my baby? Or do they need a hat? Or, um, you know, um, those kinds of questions. And in and Hawaii, it's, it's, it's sort of different. You know, um, the weather here is so mild. So year round, I think, Most babies could be comfortable probably in a onesie, (laughs) maybe at night having, you know, a second layer. Um, But that's a common question. And then the hat. Oh, do they lose a lot of heat from their heads? Um, Yeah, because we're all told that you
0: lose all your body heat from your head more than anywhere else. And so as adults, we're told that. But with babies, not necessary.
1: Right. And, again, it's more you risk the um, higher risk of having SIDS for overheating, if anything. So have good kind of air circulating in the house from a fan or anything like that helps windows open so keep the air moving don't make it
0: too hot and certainly don't put anything on a baby's head that could slide off if they're supposed to be sleeping because that could get in the way of their breathing and babies may not have that ability to move something from from where right. they're trying to breathe that's right. certainly a problem okay I get
1: questions a lot about hiccups um, and sneezing which are all normal yeah, this, we all do it. Yeah, okay. um, for, but for some parents, hearing the baby sneeze, you know, the first question is, "Oh, does the baby have allergies or, or a cold?" You know, I'm worried, and um, you know, you know, I explain it as a lot of babies collect a lot of um, things in their nose, you know, um, during um, the pregnancy, and then through the delivery process. So it's kind of their way of helping clear it out. It's a normal response. Go. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right, I'm
0: Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ann Tran. We're talking today about the baby's first years. She's at Kaiser Permanente and works as a pediatric hospitalist. So she gets a unique chance to see kids when they're in the hospital. We're talking about the first hundred days, but there are other times when you see kids in the hospital, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few moments. Any other common things that new parents might be worried about that we could reassure them is is totally normal like if babies are colicky sometimes that happens and you can try and you know do a little detective work and figure out why but if you have a colicky baby you do and anything any specific
1: tricks of the trade that you know of to keep them calm sure yeah Um, that is a very common question Um, so we talked about you know helping recreate that environment the womb I think I alluded to the swaddle there's a great book by Harvey Karp called um, The Happiest Baby on the Block, and he talks about the five S's. I don't know if you've come across the five S's. Tell us about the five S's. But it, 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 these are all ideas of kind of recreating this womb-like environment, and this helps during that transitional period for the baby. So the first S is swaddle. So I, I you know, do a tight swaddle. It makes the babies feel really comfortable and safe. Swaddle. And then holding the baby on their side. So for some reason, and this is only because they're awake, not because they're when they're sleeping, of course. So when they're awake, when they're awake, holding on their side helps kind of turn off this reflex. It's the startle reflex that um, you know can can really kind of upset some babies. So putting them on their side can help calm that reflex. Um, The third S is is uh, swaying or. Kind of sort sure, of that rocking movement yeah, that they might be used to, right? Okay. Um, and then the fourth S is doing this kind of shushing noise, and it it's almost like a white noise, but it it sounds like the blood through the placenta. Yeah. So it makes them feel like home again. Sure. And then the fifth is because it's suck. not like
0: they're going back. No. <laughs> so you can mimic it as much as you want, but they're <laughs> not going back in. They want to. Nope.
1: Sorry, buddy. Eviction notice. You were born. Okay. So so what's the fifth S? Suck. So. Sucking is a very cal- calming reflex for some babies, but rarely do I have to go all the way to those steps. The first two S's, most of the time, by the time I get to that side lying and, and the swaddle, they're calm. And it it helps tremendously for parents to at least have some... You know, sure. Have some, some steps. This some is what you do. do. Yeah. One through five. and yeah. Then repeat them
0: again if right. you need to. <laughs> but
1: I, I always tell them, do all those other things. Make sure they haven't, they need to be, if they haven't been fed, feed them. If they need to be changed, change them and then try these things. And then if they find, you know, it's really hard. It's tough. Parenting is a tough job. You know, I've been there. Um, but if if, you know, they find that they need just a moment, it's okay for them to take that moment. Put your baby in a safe place. Um, put in, or have a relative, if you have relatives um, who are, are helping you, have them watch the baby for five, ten minutes and just take a, a break. Go outside well, and get some fresh sure, air. Sure. Part of take parents taking care of a baby is taking care of
0: themselves too because right. they need to be able to handle the stress. And if they can't handle it and they get anxious and they get worried and they get upset, that's probably not going to lead to a calmer situation.
1: No. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of... If, we don't want that frustration taken out on babies. So I think that's, you know, it's and it's not that the ba- they they don't understand or they don't know. Babies don't know and and um parents just need to know that they're not bad parents. It's just sometimes everybody needs a little, you know, um, break to to relieve some of that stress.
0: Sure, and maybe the parents need to be swaddled and lay down <laughs> on their side and you know, sometimes they need to sort of be be given the five steps themselves (laughs) just because, you know, maybe they need some white noise and there you go. So certainly, and and swinging around, never hurt anybody, rocking chair. So it certainly sounds like that. taking a step back, taking a step away and saying, I need to spend some time. Let me just have the baby. Just be safe. And even if they're still crying and upset, but they are safe, I can take some minutes away. Certainly important. And anybody who has a friend who had a baby, that new mom, if they have a colicky child, they would love to have you come help them and and sort of show that you really can do these things and, and are safe doing them, but also give them those few moments where they can just take a nap and get some sleep. I mean, I think the other thing that we often hear is new parents are sleep deprived. Oh, yeah. Because they're up all night. And if you're breastfeeding your baby, how often should you do it? You know, some things say every two hours, every two and a half hours. How are you going to sleep then? Mm -hmm. So it's difficult, but getting sleep for parents and for baby is important. Yes, very important. Now, how long does it take for a baby to sleep through the night? Is that pretty variable?
1: Oh, that is very variable. Depends Depends on on your luck. (laughs) 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 Yes, somewhat. I mean, the... Um, Is it safe early on? I
0: mean, if they say to feed your baby every few hours, is it safe to let them sleep a long time or could they get dehydrated?
1: Well, I think, you know, when you take your babies to the well appointments, well checkups, um, and your baby's growing at the appropriate rate and developing at the appropriate rate, talk about it with your pediatrician. Um, At some point, some babies are ready. Um, And, you know, it's usually after four months. Um, But sometime around there, it's different for every baby. Um, But they they might show some signs when they're ready, um, and your pediatrician can help kind of guide you in that. So then if if you happen to be that
0: lucky, be happy about it. (laughs) Yeah. Because it might not happen again if you have other children. You never know. Okay. Now, if you were to see a baby come back into the hospital because something happened. What are the usual reasons why in the first three months or so you might see a baby get admitted to
1: the hospital? What are those possible things that could bring them back in? Oh, it, infections, probably. Infections and injuries. Um, so injury, falls. Um, so I think it's it's something that's important for you know us to talk about with parents about um, leaving kids unattended where they they can fall, and um you know for you know the newborns we don't it's out, outside of the falls we don't see um, um much other things um so we do talk about you know safe other safe injury prevention um so car seats and things like that, but for the older kids um we do see head injury um, from skateboards or bike um injuries and motor vehicle accidents. So, you know, things like uh, safety belts, um, helmets, helmets, helmets. Should Um, they wear helmets? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Very important. Okay,
0: Yeah. Helmets are a big thing, I think. And appropriately fitting helmets. Yes. You know, they talk about having car seats and sometimes you can go to places and they'll help to make sure your car seat is put in the right way and it's safe and secure. I don't know. Do they do that with helmets? Can you can you like go somewhere and say, can you make sure this helmet is the right size for my kid's head? I mean, I'm sure there's places where they can check it, but make sure if they're out there doing something, protect the brain.
1: Right. And if it's been through an accident or, you know, don't reuse it if there's any signs of wear. So the um, helmet, if the helmet, helmet looks like, boy, thank God that saved Johnny's head, but now it looks destroyed, get a new one. Yes. Okay.
0: New helmets. And then periodically people grow out of their shoes, they grow out of their pants, they grow out of their shirts, they can grow out of their helmet. Yes. Make sure you update it periodically. Yes. So, So how often, so you said newborns don't often come back into the hospital. They're usually safe unless there's an injury or an infection. What sort of infections would bring them back to the hospital? And is there anything you can do to prevent those?
1: Yeah, so I mean, especially in the first 30 days, A fever in any baby under, you know, thirty days, or we use twenty eight days a month, is very serious. We, you know, admit them for, you know, uh, making sure that they don't have a serious infection, which we call sepsis. Um, So all babies who have a, you know, a fever, and that's anything temperature, anything greater than one hundred point four degrees Fahrenheit, um, we check their blood, we check their urine. And we do a spinal tap to make sure that they don't have a serious infection, you know. So over 100.4, mm-hmm. 100.4, then you have to check it
0: out. What do you often find as the source? I mean, are there, you know, it's cold and flu season. If you had a baby and everybody in the family is stuck with the flu or stuck with a cold, could it be something as simple as that? Or
1: Yeah, and that's what we usually hope, but we can't. Bet our lives on it that that, that's the cause. And for young babies, they're very vulnerable. Um, For one, they don't have any protection really. um, Aside from if they're breastfeeding, they do get some of mommy's um, immunoglobulins. But they haven't been vaccinated. um, So their immune system hasn't been boosted to help protect them and fight off infection. So they're at much higher risk. And babies um, are more vulnerable too because they may not show any signs aside from a fever that they're ill. And, um, you know, it it requires us to look and act quickly if we do, you know, see it. Sure. It sounds like it would be very important,
0: particularly if, you know here it is this baby has a fever they don't show you when they don't when they have a sore throat they can't tell you and they can't tell you if they're feeling congested you might be able to tell if you can if you hear a lot of noise when they're breathing but certainly another sign if babies are not breastfeeding often enough if they're not getting enough nutrition is that another sign yes. of concern
1: yes yes i mean it may mean that they're not feeling well enough and they may be getting dehydrated so poor feeding or you know acting different or acting um, not normal Acting fussier than usual. Um, Can young babies be given
0: antibiotics? Yes, safely. Um, usually, yes. IV in a hospital setting. Yes. Okay. You wouldn't necessarily administer antibiotics unless you had a fairly compelling reason. If they weren't in the hospital.
1: Yeah, and oftentimes because of the severity of some of these diseases, we will treat before we're getting the results back. Because oftentimes you're not going to get your. You know, some of those results back, your culture results back for like two days, for two days. you don't want to lose time. Right. And those two days could be a big difference um, if you wait to treat. So oftentimes we we treat empirically, meaning we start antibiotics before knowing or proving there's an infection. And once you know the results come back and, and prove that there is no infection, then we you can stop. stop it. Yeah, because okay. the risk of waiting um, would could be very devastating. Do premature babies have a greater risk
0: of infection? Yes. Yes. And so if you happen to have a premature baby,
1: when is it safe to bring them home? Well, usually they're, you know, in the NICU, and they're watched and and cared for by the neonatologists um, until they meet all the the criteria um, that, that allows them to go home safely. So a lot of times it's making sure they're, you know, not having any um, needing any respiratory support that so they're they 're breathing can...
0: normally they 're eating normally they're peeing they're pooing
1: they 're safe right or yeah, and there's probably a weight you know um, cut off or or when they're ready you know mature maturity wise
0: sure, make sure they hit a certain milestone weight wise so that they 're safe enough to go home. The NICU being the neonatal t- intensive care unit, and that's a place where tiny babies are. Yes and these days we've gotten much better at saving tiny babies. I mean, if we can avoid having them that would be great and just have them stay until their their suggested date when they're supposed to be due, but you know, you can't you can't always control life like that. So, okay, so when they when they're if they happen to be premature and home early, another reason to really be careful with those fevers we talked about of 100.4 or higher, certainly getting it checked out. Should you limit exposure to everybody wanting to come and see your baby if you're worried about that. I mean, I often wonder for the first couple of weeks or so, everybody's going to want to see the mm-hmm. baby. Let me come, hold them, touch them, kiss them. They're so cute. I want to hold that. And yet if you're if you're sick yourself and you don't know it yet, you could really be harming that baby.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you have to kind of just balance that with your, your um – you know, you you can't keep certain people away. Right.
0: Grandparents are not going to leave; right. they're going to be there. Okay,
1: but there's certainly things you can do to to de, you know reduce your your risk of harm. So, not showing up to big public places um, where there's a million people, or um, the mall, or any any place that's you know public where there's a crowd, or or, or you know things like that, the airport, airplanes. Um, you know, avoiding those kinds of places. At least for the first, you know, couple of weeks, um, will decrease your risk because you're not exposing, you know, your baby.
0: Sure, limit exposure. What a, should parents use hand sanitizer all the time? You know, in the office when you see your doctor. You know, I use it obsessively all day long because I don't want to spread infection from from patient to patient. Should parents be doing something similar, washing their hands
1: all the time? And yes, using sanitizer <laughs> okay. after changing the diaper and anytime you have visitors. Um, that's one of the biggest ways to, you know, decrease the, the risk of make passing Make them medication. sanitize. Make them sanitize. So maybe your older child can they have that They can be that the boss. <laughs> gotcha. They can make everybody wash their hands before they touch the baby. And if they've got a cough or a fever or not feeling well, then they don't come in They get the vetoed. Yes.
0: They can see from afar.
1: Okay. And that's another way, like
0: you mentioned, to incorporate a sibling as well to sort of make sure that they feel like they're a part of this whole experience as well. Excellent. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Ann Tran from Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about baby's first hundred days of life and how important it is to get these things right so that you can have the healthiest baby possible and they can survive and thrive and grow and do well and then become a teenager and all sorts of things will happen after that. But they're so cute when they're babies. And that's what we're talking about today. Any tricks of the trade for parents? We talked about things you can do when kids are colicky, the swaddling and put them on their side and swaying and keeping them comfortable. Any other sort of tricks of the trade? You're a mom, you know, these things, what else can you do to keep a baby happy and healthy for the first few months?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Singing to them. They like to hear your voice talking to them. They've heard it. If you're a mom, they've heard it for nine months. They want to hear it again. <laughs> yeah. And it's great for, for you know, bonding with your baby, um, you know, bonding with the caregiver, positive. Picking the right caregiver, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be another difficult yeah. task when moms
0: go back to work and they need to find a caregiver. That's got to be a hard one.
1: Yeah. So doing all those things where you create kind of positive relationships early on with babies um, help in their development, their brain development, um, physiologically, emotionally, cognitively. So spending that time with them. Um, And even if it seems silly, you know, reading to them. (laughs) I've had parents reading from, you know, Whatever. Tolstoy. Yeah, Who knows? Journals. Medical yeah. journals, right. I'm going to yeah.
0: bore you to death, buddy, because I'm getting bored. We're going to read the New England Journal. So you never know. Okay, the Encyclopedia.
1: Right, know. encyclopedia. There you go. They like just a- want to hear your voice sure. because they probably heard your voice for, you know, all that time. That and they, they, they want to be part way. of it. Sure. Is it important to keep the environment super quiet or does that not really make a huge difference? I don't think it makes a difference. You may feel that with your first, and by the time you're second, you probably don't even notice.
0: <laughs> you're used to the noise. you used to it. And everybody else gets used to the noise.
1: Yeah.
0: And what if, you know, if you have that older child, and they do feel like they're kind of being left out, is there anything you can do to, in addition to giving them responsibilities, anything else that can help them with this huge transition of a sibling?
1: Yeah, I mean... One thing you can really do is make sure you do spend some just one-on-one time with that older child. Just set aside, even if it's five, ten minutes of the day every day, doing an activity just with that older child. That does help them feel like, like there's, you know, that their mommy or their daddy's still around. Um, and then, you know, a, a few other things that, you know, I I try these things with, you know, my. Um, a daughter, too, is, uh, um, you know, when our, our before our son was born, um, we made sure we didn't do any kind of new big transitional things for her at so, the same time. Yeah. So we you know, we transitioned her out of her crib early so that it it didn't coincide with. Get out, man. You got a new one coming (laughs) in.
0: They didn't feel displaced. So they were already out of the crib or had their own
1: space and kind of got excited about that. Okay, And then, you know, we waited and not in toileting training her, you know, after. So again, these are are things that might add more anxiety and stress for them. And kind of taking that off the table, um, you know, does help. That's true, because if you do have
0: a child that's now of toilet training age... And you're getting a new baby in the house. That's probably not the best of all right. times to expect success. Okay, right. so timing things and and like you said, minimizing the stress and transitions at that time.
1: Yeah, and you know what else? I didn't think of this before, but um, with with someone had brought this up with me was you know people always come over with gifts for their baby. Ah, so uh, you know, someone told me, oh, just pick a bunch of small little gifts and wrap them up. A lot of times they just don't want to feel left out. So um, having And they that, don't want to rattle, you know, they they're like, right.
0: you know, oh, thanks, I'm poor, so uh, this right. is great, okay.
1: Just little things, stickers or crayons, and have them, you know, open it when the baby opens a present. It, it makes them feel included, that they're, you know, not forgotten. And then something, you know— um, one a, a doctor, a, another pediatrician, had mentioned to me that i f- I found was you know really helpful is sometimes you're going to have both kids crying for your attention or they both At the same want time. you. Right. Yeah. So what do you do? So you know, um, you split your body in half <laughs>
0: and you give one to one child and one to the other. Okay. <laughs> Not realistic. Yeah. All right. So what do you
1: do? You know, I've been told you address the older child concerns first because your baby it'll take a few minutes and it's not going to matter for your baby but it's going to matter for your older child they want to know that you they're important yeah that you still care and that they're important so I think that was probably one of one of the things I remember um, and I try to pass that on to 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 your new parents. parents yeah did it work for your kids It does because, I mean, a lot of it is they want, you know, they still want attention. So it's an adjustment, you know. It's an adjustment for everybody but for them especially. So doing those little things reminds them that they're still, you know, mom and dad are still there for them. They still care deeply about them. Um, Important
0: things, you know, when when you're small, you don't realize that that can set the tone for if you like your sibling or not, you know, and that can last for a very long time. What about pets in the house? Is there an issue with new babies and having pets at home, and is there a way to keep that in the safest way possible in the best environment? Is there a way to help with that as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is pets, I think, are like, you know, with young children, you just have to make sure for risk of of injury because they're going to be curious. They're going to want to know what's going on. They're going to peek into the car seat or their bassinet and rip the whole thing over and you have a you know a toppling over well, we talk about <laughs>
0: injuries and falling okay we don't want to have that happen so okay. those kind
1: of things and just always have an eye you know on the pet or have them you know hold be holding the pet um so that you know you do have some kind of space um because i think they want to be included um, sure they they're want like little kids you know right.
0: for a lot of people it's like a another kid so they also need to be sort of introduced to the baby and right is there a worry about infection i mean it's funny because i recently read an article that said the dirtier you get as a kid the less likely <laughs> you are to have allergies and stuff so the more you expose them when they're young the better it is overall so is is that true about about pets as well i mean if you're around
1: dogs it's okay yeah i mean i think there's probably some you know truth to that um and I think it's part of the house. part of the house. Welcome yeah. them to yeah. your family
0: of chaos. They're here. They're a loved yeah. addition to the family. And right. Welcome. Let's see what we can do to keep <laughs> you healthy. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. Dr. Ann Tran is a pediatric hospitalist at Kaiser Permanente. If you want to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on Facebook. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Bethany Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk some more on the body show. That's Monday at 5. We'll see you then.